My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. Good morning, everybody. So glad to see you here. Uh, Be in prayer for those that are traveling today. Be in prayer for uh, the upcoming events over at Hillcrest Baptist Camp. Uh, And praise God that we have had two students put their faith in Christ uh, just this past week at Kids Camp. And that's what camp is all about, just getting to go out there, spend time with these students, uh, and lead them to put their faith in Jesus. Uh, And we had many more come forward and many more talked about their faith in Christ and how to grow in their faith in Christ. There were a lot of great conversations, not just with uh, the kids, but even with the counselors. Uh, So I'm thankful for all of those counselors that came out as well. But if you will today, we're going to go over to John chapter 3, verse 1 through 17, and talk about confronting the problem. And one of the problems that we get while reading through the book of John, when we hit chapter 3... We seem to highlight only one verse from that, and what is that? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And there's a reason we highlight that, because we see this passage pretty much sums up all of Scripture. But sometimes we look at that passage that sums up all of Scripture And we forget about the passages before and even the passages after that have so much more to add to it. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at one of the most popular passages in Scripture, or more the most popular uh, verse in Scripture, and we're going to look at the passages all around that. But the first step when we understand about confronting a problem is what? To know what the problem or even admit that there is a problem there in the first place. Because if you can't admit, you'll never know. And so when we confront a problem, we have to know what the problem is. We have to admit that there's a problem there. And we're about to dive into this extremely, I don't know a good word for it other than awesome dialogue between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus who is a Pharisee. But before we go into their conversation, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for bringing us here together. I thank you for each person that's here and for the many blessings that you've given us. Father, today as we go into your word, help us to put all distractions aside and focus on what your spirit is speaking to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you will with me, we're going to go ahead and read verse 1 through 4. 
And it says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And so we see two people here, the one that scripture revolves around, which is Jesus, but then we also have a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin council, and he came to Jesus by night to talk to him. And one of the most likely reasons that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night is because anytime you do something at night, it's usually because you're up to no good and don't want to be seen. And the Pharisees did not like Jesus at this moment. They didn't like what he was teaching. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like the miracles that he was performing. He was taking away a lot of political power from the Pharisees. Yet Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night because he has found something to be clear. That there's no way that Jesus is evil. There's no way that Jesus is bad because Jesus is doing all of these things that scripture foretold. He knew that Jesus had to come from God. He even goes as far to respect Jesus. He calls him rabbi, which is to say teacher. Even though Jesus had no rabbi training, it was not considered a rabbi. It was a sign of high respect for Nicodemus, who did have training to refer to Jesus as a teacher or a rabbi. But even for all of the training that Nicodemus had, he still missed the point. Because he stood before Jesus and he said, you have to be a teacher who has come from God. For you couldn't do the things you do unless you have come from God. And what's the point that Nicodemus is missing here? The point is, Jesus didn't just come from God, that he is God wrapped in the flesh. We see in John 1.1, talking about Jesus, it begins like this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in missing the point, Jesus redirects Nicodemus from a worldly perspective, one to the, the perspective that one can see that Jesus is this great teacher and he has to be good and he has to be great because he's doing great things, full of peace and love, and switches him over to a spiritual perspective that he is so much more than what Nicodemus has just claimed. You see, Nicodemus, he was focused on a worldly perspective. When Jesus redirected him, he said, you can only see the kingdom of God. You can only understand exactly who I am and what I have to offer if you are born again. And when Jesus says this, he's talking from a spiritual perspective. But then Nicodemus, who's 
got a very worldly view at this moment, says to Jesus, how can this be? Can I go into my mother's womb again and be reborn? That doesn't make sense to me. But what Nicodemus needs here is a spiritual perspective which only comes through rebirth, a great change in his life. And if you truly want to know Jesus, what must happen is you must die to this world and be reborn spiritually. That's another symbolism. Not only are we, we dying with Christ, but we're raising again. That, that whole idea of dying with Christ and rising from the grave again is almost like a rebirth as well. But we see in John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, this was a very clear thing to the apostles. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And so that rebirth, that spiritual rebirth starts with faith. Yet Nicodemus, he still misses this point. And he focuses on this worldly perspective, assuming Jesus was telling him to go back into his mother's womb and have a physical rebirth. And so, one of the first problems we must confront in any situation is, what is our perspective? How are we looking at the situations in front of us? Because when we have been spiritually reborn, we have put our faith in Christ, we have to look at everything as a spiritual battle. We have to consult everything through our spiritual God. The Holy Spirit is a major part of our life that leads us and guides us through this world. But how often do we face a situation and we don't focus on the spiritual nature of the situation, but we rather focus on the physical nature or the worldly nature of the situation. I've been told before that a task was impossible. A couple of years ago, I moved out to southern Illinois and I was told that the task that I was going to be taking on was an impossible task and by worldly means, by physical means, by financial means, it does seem like an impossible task, but yet every time something seemed impossible, when I stopped focusing on a worldly perspective and focused on the spiritual perspective, Jesus would open up doors that I never saw were there in the first place. He always makes a way. So one of the first things we have to confront is our perspective. Sometimes in our situations, we have a problem with our perspective. It's not that God's not answering us. It's not that God is even necessarily punishing us. But sometimes God is trying to show us, show us the spiritual meaning of something, the spiritual answer to something, while we're looking at the worldly answer to everything around us. But let's go on in verse 5 through 8. And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And this isn't a, a passage that shows any requirement for baptism. A lot of people have taken this and twisted scripture over the years and saying that you must be born of water. That's in reference to baptism. And if you're not baptized in this water in this certain church of this certain denomination, then there's no way that you could be saved. It has nothing to do with the requirement for baptism to be saved rather we actually see the symbolic understanding of the spiritual cleansing of sin like water this is talked about in ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 through 27 i will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean i will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. This is the same thing with that perspective, having to confront the perspective that we are viewing in each situation. We can't combine spiritual perspectives and worldly fleshly perspectives together to try and figure things out because the flesh is flesh and the spirit is spirit and so we find that so many different things uh, come about from scripture when we look at scripture in a worldly way rather than in a spiritual way and that also goes with baptism right there. Baptism, being dunked under water, that's something that's worldly. That's something that's physical. And as Jesus is talking here, he's not talking about physical matters, but he's talking about spiritual matters, which means that the water he's talking about as he's describing this process of rebirth to Nicodemus is of spiritual connotations. And so one of the things that happens in rebirth is that we have the washing away of sin. And that's what happens when we put our faith in Christ. When we decide to follow Him, we decide to submit to Him, we repent of our sins, He washes away those sins and He remembers them no more. We are buried with Christ by baptism into death. That was what baptism was at first though. Did you know that? Baptism wasn't symbolic of dying and being risen again. But when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, what was that symbolizing? That was a purity ritual that they did. Jesus didn't have any sins to wash away, but he was leading by example in that ritual, in that, that baptism. But what people would do, they would come to John the Baptist and they would say, we have sin in our life, baptize us so that we can symbolically show that we're washing away the bad and that we're coming back up clean. And that's very similar to the new perspective that we have, an even deeper spiritual perspective that we die with Christ, and that we also rise with him to walk in the newness of life. But we also in this passage, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus, see the ignorance of the world. 
He says, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus's confusion stemmed from a religious worldview and a lack of a true relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us reveals the mysteries of God. Not man, not book, not religious leaders, not politicians, not celebrities, but the Holy Spirit. Think of the time that you were outside of Christ before you put your faith in him and decided to follow him. And think of a time that you read the Bible. I read the Bible quite often before I finally put my faith in Jesus. And let me tell you, as I read it, some of the things caught my attention, but for the most part, I couldn't understand anything. And when I met a Christian, when I met someone who followed Christ and lived like Christ, and I could recognize that there was something different between them, but I didn't quite understand what was so different about them? Why did they live the way that they lived? Why did they do the things that they do? And I read the scripture so many times and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But as soon as I put my faith in Christ, the very first time I started reading the Bible after that, guess what? Things started to make sense more. Not all of it. I still don't understand all of the Bible. The Spirit reveals it to me as I continue to study and as I continue to search out the will of God. But then there were simple passages that I was reading, like this passage about being reborn again. What does it mean to be reborn? And that's something that we say quite often. When you ask someone a question about their faith, someone might say, I'm a born-again Christian. It means that they have been spiritually reborn, that they have died to the world, but now that they are alive to God. And so we see that a lot of people try to understand the Bible, try to understand Scripture, try to understand Jesus' words through a worldly perspective. Just like Nicodemus when we need a spiritual perspective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, for who knows a person's thought except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So salvation, being born again, these mysteries that we read about in Scripture, you can't just read about those and understand them. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have, whether you have two earned doctorates or not sometimes. But who really reveals it to us. Who is it? The Spirit. The Spirit reveals these mysteries and these understandings to us. If you are outside of the Spirit, you are like that person that is ignorant to everything of God. You see the wind. You see the people of God. You see them come in. You see them live out their life. You see them follow in the ordinances and in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But you don't understand it. You don't know where they've come from. You don't know where they are going. And the first point today, to be saved, you must be born again spiritually. And when you're born again spiritually, 
what comes about from that is you start to have a spiritual perspective on everything around you. Now let's continue on in verse 9 through 15. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is still having a hard time understanding, right? How can these things be? And Jesus' reply is very sharp. Are you not a teacher of Israel? Am I not just revealing to you the fulfillment of the scripture? And Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, would have had at least the first five books, known as the Torah or the law, memorized word for word, where a majority of the prophecies are fulfilled concerning the Messiah. Are you not a teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? How can you understand these things if I haven't already given you a worldly analogy to understand it? How can I expect you to understand the spiritual connotations of what I am talking about? Jesus, he shares these heavenly things. Essentially, he's, he's sharing exactly who he is with Nicodemus. If you read that closely... And if you think Nicodemus is looking through a spiritual lens rather than the worldly lens, he would have just realized that Jesus said, I'm the Son of God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who has come to save you. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, Jesus. That's me. That's what he's saying. It's me, Nicodemus, the one you read about throughout all of Scripture, that is me. He would have probably recalled this passage from Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son, if you know? To continue his revelation, Jesus reminds Nicodemus of another passage in Numbers. This would be a passage that Nicodemus would have known by heart because it's a part of the Torah. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 5 through 9, it says, The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord. And against you, intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When everyone 
uh, anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever someone was bitten and he looked on the bronze snake, he recovered. So Jesus is the one who came down from heaven for a purpose of being lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. That's what he says to Nicodemus. Just like the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And as the people in Moses' time sinned against God, their sin was punished. And all generations are in this same boat. We all have this sin problem. In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. There's the problem. But that's the great thing about Scripture is it shows us the problem. And that's why I always tell you what's the most offensive book in the world to read. It's the Bible because it tells us that we are wrong. It offends us because we want to be right. But not only does it offend us, but it shows us the way to be right. So it's also the greatest book in the Bible, to, to, uh, the greatest book in the world to read. Because the wages of sin is death. That's what offends us. That's what brings us down. That's what humbles us in a sense. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, as the children of Israel grumbled and complained after God had provided so much for them, continued to give them food, continued to take care of them, continued to lead them. He had freed them from slavery in Egypt. They continued to grumble and complain until God said, I'm taking my hand of protection away from you. And these serpents came in, and the serpents were their problem. The serpents were causing them to die. Sin is our problem, and sin is causing us to die spiritually. And so the physical understanding, the worldly understanding, is that there are snakes biting people, and they are dying. The spiritual understanding of this passage in Numbers is that sin is spiritually putting people to death. And as the people cried out for salvation from death, God told Moses to make a serpent of bronze and all who looked upon it would be saved. Do you catch the imagery there? You're being bit by a snake. The snake is killing you. And the only way to be saved from the snake is to look at the snake. How many people do you think probably died because they were too stubborn to look at what was causing the problem? How many people died because they were so mad at what was going on that they didn't want to believe in the word of God, they didn't want to look at the problem that was being caused, or maybe even out of fear they wouldn't look at that bronze snake and died in their fear, died in their stubbornness, died in rejection. But God was merciful and anyone who looked at the problem was saved from the problem. They had to look at the problem to be saved and we also today in this world must look at our problem to be saved. Who knows what I'm about to quote next. 2 Corinthians 5.21 this is what Jesus means. He made the one, who is Jesus, who did not know sin, 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So to be saved from our sin, we must look no further than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross because he became our problem. He who knew no sin became our sin, and just like the snake in the wilderness, he was lifted up for all of the world to see, and people could look up there and they could confront the problem and say, there is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, who just took on the sin of the world and died for me, and move on from that point by putting their faith in Jesus, or they could continue to grumble, complain, and be killed spiritually, by their sin. So for spiritual birth to begin, this would be the second point today, for spiritual birth to begin, we must realize we have a sin problem. Jesus' purpose from the very beginning of this passage was to show Nicodemus if you could understand this in a spiritual understanding, you would see that I am telling you, I am the Son of God who came down from heaven, descended to this world in the weakness of flesh. I am God wrapped in flesh, and I came for a purpose so that I could take on your sin and I could be lifted up on that tree that anyone who believes in me should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what he goes on to say in John 3, 16 through 17. And he says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This is a very important biblical understanding. Sometimes we stop at verse 16, but I think the passage all around it is extremely necessary. Jesus did not come into this world so that he could destroy the world. He didn't want to come into this world to shove our face further in the dirt because guess what? Our face is already in the dirt. We were already walking the road of condemnation when he got here. He didn't have to come to this world to condemn us because we were already condemned. And it wasn't that God condemned us, but that we rejected God. And instead of walking the road of life, we decided to walk the road of condemnation. Instead of following his will, which leads to life, we decided to follow our will, which leads to temptation, which leads to sin, which leads to what? Death. We were already on the road. Jesus didn't have to come and rub it in. Jesus came to this world not to condemn it. He came to this world because he loves us, and he saw us on a bad path, and he wanted to save us from hell. Everyone in this world has an eternal destination, and it starts with hell. We have to make the choice to follow Jesus on that road to life, and he shows us that we can make that choice. By doing something he didn't have to do at all. By coming into this world 
and dying on the cross and making us, when we look at the cross of Calvary, making us confront the problem that is there, that we have sin, that it is great, and that it condemns us, but that he has grace, and it is abounding, and he loves us and wants to save us. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John chapter 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And the last point is just a simple one today. This is, I mean, I could have probably just said this at the beginning and said this was a done deal. Tricked y'all though, didn't I? Salvation comes through faith in Jesus. Believing that he is who he says he is. It's not good enough to be like Nicodemus at this moment and say, you're a good teacher. Because after reading this passage, to conclude that Jesus is a good teacher but a liar is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense, right? Jesus, you're a good teacher and you came from God, but... You're not the God, uh, you're not, not the Son of God, you're not God in the flesh. Well, he just reveals to us in this passage that he is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is dying for our sins, that he is the only way to salvation. That's what he's revealing to us. So we can't conclude that he's a good teacher and not the Son of God because he is either a uh, liar and a lunatic or he is truly the Son of God. And that's where we come at the crossroads. That's where we must make a choice. We can look at the cross or refuse, grumble and complain, not look at the problem that's really there. Or we can look at the cross and say, that is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, who died on the cross for my sins, and he rose from the grave to promise me new life. The choice is yours today. So Christian, the message would be, God has saved you from condemnation. This is the message that you should scream from the rooftops. Share this with someone this week. And maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you haven't put your faith in Christ yet. God does not want to send you to hell. He wants to save you from it. It's as simple as that. You're already on that path, and God wants to show you a new path. So put your faith in Christ today. If you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ today, I encourage you to come forward and do that. Maybe you're watching this later on and you haven't put your faith in Christ. I encourage you, send us a message on Facebook. We want to talk to you a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Contemplate these things today, church. And go out and preach Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave to promise us new life to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear that message. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this day and for bringing us together. And I thank you for 
sending your son into this world that even though we were sinners and undeserving and stiff-necked even at times, that you still sent him to die for our sins and save us from the condemnation that we deserve. Father, help us to share that message. Help us to pour out your love on this lost and dying world around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith 168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request, or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.